You remember, by, we were in chapter 2, verse 12. Hey, Bishop, how you doing? Good to see you. In verse 12. And John, as you know, by this time has been encouraging the church. Has been encouraging the church. I don't want to go back and reteach everything, which is my inclination to do. You know, always go back and drag too much up. He's, he's encouraging the church. But now when he gets to verse 12, the Holy Spirit has told him. When I say John realizes, he realizes by the Holy Spirit. A thought comes to his mind. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. We do see what we're saying here. We have to always want to go back to the source of all of this. It is the activity, the presence, the work of God's Spirit in us. Amen? And so he realizes when we get to ch- verse 12. I'm going to have to re-reassure these. I need to make sure that the assurance is really settled in them, that what I'm about to tell them in verses 15 to 17, I'm going to share some stuff with them that is going to maybe rock their boat, is going to seem very radical, actually not nearly as radical to them as it is to us today. Because when we get into verses 15 to 17, We're going to have to put our seatbelts on and our helmets on because God is not a happy camper with the way the church relates to the world. May I say that again? God is not a happy camper with the way we, the church, relate to the world. Can somebody agree with that? And so it's going to be tough sledding. And the sledding isn't going to be nearly as tough as the actual reality. The reality is going to be much worse than what we think it is. And so John has to say, before I go into this, I need to go back and assure them one more time of what's happening. I need to make sure that what I've already said, you must love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved you. If you call your obedience, obedience. Amen. That's challenging. But now what I'm going to say is that love must be put into actual activity when it comes to the relating to the world. That's challenging. So I need to make sure that these folks know this. Their relationship with God. Remember, we made a distinction as to the biblical terminology. Their relationship with God, not their fellowship, but their relationship. They are set upon the rock of ages. Remember Matthew 7, Jesus said, they built their house upon the rock. And when the winds and the waves came, what happened? And it beat against the house, what happened? The house stood because it was built on the rock. We are built on the rock of Christ. So he's going to remind them in verse 12, we'll get to the other verses next week, of the two twin core truths about why they are secure in Christ. Amen? The two twin core truths of why they are secure, why they can be confident that when These teachings continue to come and they are living them out. And when they see the inconsistency in themselves, how many of us see spiritual inconsistencies in ourselves? Good. Three of you. Thank you. And so when they see these inconsistencies, they're not thrown over by the whispers of Satan 
you're not in the church anymore. You're not saved. You've lost your salvation. That's not God. Joe, it's not God. Whose voice is it? Satan. So he wants to make sure that when this happens, and guess what? We're going to have inconsistencies in our lives. You may not believe this, but I am occasionally walking in inconsistently with the word of God. Gene would tell you there are a couple of things in my life here or there once in a while that that happens. Right, sweetie? And so there's something happening over here. So John realizes that this command would seem to be a daunting task. How do we love like Jesus loved? And now how are we going to relate to the world as Jesus related to? How, how does this happen? And they were probably asking themselves the same question as the Apostle Paul. You have 2 Corinthians 2.16. Paul is facing this ministry, talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, Who's adequate for this? How many of us feel adequate? I, I got it. I can do this. How many of us have ever done this? And I know all of us have. I'm going to try harder. Come on, come on, come on. I'm going to try harder. And you see, there's, there's one of the heart reasons why you're failing. You're trying harder. Can you say amen? You may remember the teaching when we went through the love of God. I'm going to try harder. That's the point where you are failing. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, I know if it doesn't, go back and grab the teachings from the previous God is love sermons or teachings. Therefore, in order to allay their fears, John is going to talk to them in this verse. And he's going to remind them of what they've already seen in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, do you remember? It shouldn't be in your notes. Chap is it written out in your notes? Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Is that written out, that scripture? Okay, now, so if I were to call on someone in the class, okay, you stand up and you quote to me and to us, what does chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say? Don't look at your Bible. My little children, I write these things to you that you what sin not or do not sin and if any one of you sins and he knows everybody's gonna sin don't be afraid you're not thrown over you're not sinking the world's not coming to an end if anyone sins for those who are believers in Christ remember we're not talking to the world if anyone sins what we have we what have what tense is that present tense we right now have an advocate one who takes our uh, place in defending us before the bar of God's justice we have an advocate with the father what's his name Jesus Christ the righteous his credentials he is the Messiah he is a man he is righteous you see and he is the propitiation the atoning sacrifice for sin. And not for the whole, for our sins. And not for ours only, Gwen, but what? For the sins of the whole world. He has to remind them of that again. I, I need to make sure you got it. 
So he starts verse 12. What does he say? What are the first two words, verse 12, or the first couple of words, as, as I remember? I write to you who? Dear children. The word children means my little darlings. I'm writing to you, my little darlings. He's once again saying, you are part of the body. You are part of the church. You are God's children. You are related to me. I'm related to you. We're still a part of the church. I want to make sure I address you as little darlings because that's the fatherly, that's the way God sees us. We are his little darlings. Now, we always don't act like little darlings, but we are his little darlings. John begins once again by addressing the entire church as little darlings, as he done in those other verses that we read. Why? He is reminding them of what and why of their assurance. What and why? What is the root of their assurance? First of all, I'm writing these things to your little children. Why? Do you see it? Is it does he have a because there? In these verses, there are six because statements, six causal statements, because, because, causal. This is a result because of that, you know. Okay. I'm writing to you, my little children, my little darlings. Now, who is included in this? Everybody who is saved. Everybody who is in the body of Christ. The question this morning is, is everyone in this room God's little darling? That's the question. And the second question, if you say yes, is how do you know? How do you know? Remember what we said. The proof of being God's little darling is not that you went to an altar and prayed to receive Jesus. Oh. Although you may have been born again at that point. Do you understand what I just did? I didn't throw it out. I said that's not the what? The burden of the proof. The burden of the proof is not what you did 25, 30, 10 years ago or six months ago. The burden of the proof is what is happening now. If, in fact, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last week, yesterday, whatever it is, you were saved, you were born again, then you will begin to see, if you're just saved, if you've been saved over a period of time, you should be, have been seeing three evidences that you are actually a living branch in the vine. Remember John 15? What are they? The moral test? I am loving with God's love. I am walking with Jesus as he walked in the world. Correct? What's the second proof? Relational test. I am loving others in Christ with the same love with which I have been loved by Jesus himself. Ooh. Man. That's where the rubber hits the road. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. That person over there, yeah, yeah I can't stand him then you better keep your mouth shut about loving Jesus. You better keep your mouth shut. I'm serious. Because John says you're a liar. Imagine the pastor saying, Jonathan, you're a liar. 
I used his name because I want you to make sure I know Jonathan is my grandson. You got to put it in there all the time. And the third test, which we haven't gotten to, which Nick will begin to talk about, is a doctrinal test, which he can worry about that later. You have to have all three of these together like a three-legged table. And when one isn't there, what happens to the table? It falls. Your assurance collapses. Has this been a challenge to you? I hope so, but I also hope it's been a great help to you. Where you're not looking back at something, but you're looking at what God is doing in me today and looking forward. So, my little children. Why do I call you little children? Why do I call you little children? Adam, why does he call you little child? Because, what, what does it say? Your what? Sins are or have been forgiven. Let's stop there. Your sins have been forgiven. I want to say this and try to say it without you misunderstanding what I'm saying. The issue that keeps us out or anyone out of the kingdom of God, the issue that causes us not to be fit to have fellowship with his holy majesty is, and this is why I have to say it in a way that it's going to sound that's wrong, is not the presence of sin in us. You think, well, wait a minute. Well, well, think about it. If the activity and presence of sin in any of us kept us out of fellowship with God, how many of us right now would be in fellowship with God? Come up, come up, raise your hand. You think I'm in Christ, and, but any, any of the sin, the issue isn't sin in this way. That's what keeps you out of the kingdom of God. Why? Because all are born sinners. And God has said, I'm creating a humanity that will be my people. So what, did God make a bad mistake? If I'd only known, Flo, that you were going to sin, I wouldn't have created you in the first place. But no, God knew that she would be a sinner. God knew that she would become her child. And God knew the way to deal with it. So it's not the presence and activity of sin. No, you're seeing it this way. Is this okay to say it that way? Because too often, if we're not careful, we make the activity of sin the very issue. It isn't. Al, why are you in the kingdom of God? Because you, brother, sinful man that you are, all of your sin has been what? Forgiven. Amen? Forgiven. Colossians 2.13. Having forgiven our trespasses and sins. Forgiven. That is the doorway that had to be unlocked in order for God to accomplish in us his eternal purpose. Now, I know you've heard this a lot. Oh, okay, I've heard this. I mean, you know, this is something he said so many times. Then why do so many in the church become very 
insecure when you have committed the same sin 10 times in the last 30 minutes. How many of you really still, and I understand it, you really still kind of have, <laughs> because I'm still doing that wrong thing. Anybody ever, you're still struggling with that, aren't you? Are you with me today? You see, that fear is in the flesh. And that is Satan's constant target in your life. And that is an issue that once you sin, the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. Remember, he convicts of sin. And once he does that, why has he done it? He's done it in order to alert you to his desire to deal with the activity of that sin with his power. Are you with me this morning? He doesn't show it to you to condemn you. He shows it to you to break the chains of that sin in you. So in one way, when I find I sin, I'm talking about something I know about, not something I'm trying to figure out. Did I sin? Did I sin? You just relax. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and you move along in trusting God. You don't have to dig up the garden to find the weeds that haven't grown yet. Can you imagine that? And I know the weeds in here. I know I'm going to start digging them up. I'm going to start digging them up. God, forgive me and forgive me all the things that I've done that I don't know anything about. Well, what do you think Jesus did at the cross? Huh? What did Jesus do at the cross? Did he forgive you of how much? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. How many? All sin. Was any one sin left out of the washing of the blood of Jesus? Any one sin? So it's not a matter of forgiveness, is it? We've been forgiven in Christ. It's now a matter of revelating, revealing that activity of sin in order to de-weed the garden of that weed in that area so that God can plant his flower of grace to replace that sin with his graceful flower. Amen? So you don't have to start digging around in the garden to try to figure out, I know this sin's here. I know that. I'm going to start digging around. Can you imagine having a garden like that this morning? Like, yeah, what we're going to do, we're going to get in your garden. We're going to dig this thing up because we're going to find some weeds in that garden. And what would you tell them? Oh, why don't you just wait until what? I see, experience the weed. Are you with me? Are you with me this morning? Wait. Pam, can you trust God to show you the weed? Can you? Yes. Do you have to worry about those weeds that you don't see yet? Do you? No. Every weed that God desires to deal with, he will show you first. Then if you let him and cooperate with him and not become this, oh, man, but say, thank you, Father, for showing me this sin because it's been in me, it was in me, and so on. You've forgiven me of it. Now you're ready to deal with it. And even though the Lord may say, yes, I am, for the 638th time, I'm ready to deal with it. And your answer is, thank you for 639th time. Come on. Yes, you may clap for God, not for me, for God. Because, you see, if there is a number beyond which you better not go, 
Eddie, you over. You are over. And Ray has told us about you. Ray, you are over. Phyllis, even you are over. Debbie, you are over. Georgina, Miguel, you two are finished. Anybody, should I leave anybody out? You're finished. They have to get this. And why do I drumbeat it so much? Oh, because it's absolutely the absolute experiential, most incredible experience, joy, whatever, that any of us have ever been given. Because now we are, our hearts are new, being able to receive this love of God and to fellowship with this God who is our God. Amen. So I think I have some verses in your outline about forgiveness. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 7. We have what? What tense? Look, make sure you, rem make sure you get all your objects and direct objects and prepositions and verb tenses correct. You should have studied English when the teacher told you this is going to be important one day and you just kind of slept through it. It is we have. I am not waiting for the redemption of my sin, if you would, or the forgiveness of my sin. I am only waiting for the redemption of this body. How many of you are glad you're getting a new body? Now, for those of you who had didn't raise your hand, you ain't looked in the mirror lately. <laughs> you see, the only problem with a mirror is it's a bad reflection on me. I'm sorry. We have redemption by means. You like that, huh? Thank you. Okay. Oh, Linda, you like it? Linda Reed just woke up. Good for her. We have redemption. Full, final, forever redemption in his blood. You, yes, you may clap for God. Yes. It is important to get excited about what God has done, about the word of God. The forgiveness of our trespasses, in case you didn't know what redemption meant. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. <gasps> but the gift, the free gift, the grace of God, what is what? Eternal life. It is eternal life. But where is this life? It is eternal life what? In Christ Jesus. Titus 3, 5 and 6. These are good verses. God saved us. Not because on the basis of our deeds which we have done in righteousness. You didn't get saved because you're so good. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's that word regeneration. It means new genesis. It means a new heart. It means a new birth. That's in that word. By the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he's poured out upon us. Remember Ezekiel 36. So to walk in faith and not fear, we must know that the path of our walk is upon God's promise to have forgiven us.
So we don't any longer have to pray to be forgiven, seek to be forgiven, or anything else like that. We walk in it. Now, that's good news. Why has he forgiven us? Why has he forgiven us? You see, the act of forgiveness is significant. But if the act of forgiveness is not set in the irrevocable promise of God, in the absolute assurance that what God has done, he will never change his mind. Suppose God has forgiven me, Ron, and now he changes his mind. Forgiveness is one issue. But it is still a shaky issue in view of the way we live. Can, are you with me today? So if we have any thought that our forgiveness has anything whatsoever primarily, primarily with us or about us, we are going to be washed to and fro by the activities of our own sin because you won't have an assurance. You see, the reason our forgiveness in Christ is so sure is because what the rest of the verse says. So my dear children, what? My little children, I'm writing these things to you, children, why? Because your sins, what? Are forgiven, why? What does it say? Because of his namesake. You see, we, we, we read the word of God and we fly past these little verses and we don't even know what they're talking about. And the most significant statement in verse 12 is that last statement. What? For his, on, on, on the basis of or because of his name's sake. You want to know why you were saved? I'm saved because I asked Jesus. No, that's not it. I'm saved because I have been God before the foundation of the world. No, that's not it. It's not it. You see, there's always a fight, I know in me, to make sure that God in everything has the preeminence. Remember Colossians 1.18. That he is first in all things. And this first excludes anything else being near him. Everything else is what? Secondary. Why are we here today? Because of his namesake. For whose namesake we have been chosen, created, forgiven to be his people. Are we getting this? I just have such a burden that this gets so deep in us that it is God. God. In any and everything in my life. And then secondarily, we are the means or the vessel in which God brilliantly displays himself. What verse did I just quote? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. For we have this treasure, what? 
in earthen vessels so that the so that the what so that the power may be of God and not of us second corinthians 4:7 is where his namesake works out huh. so let let's do it this way how many of you know that what does namesake mean? It means one who takes after, let's say, the dad. Amen? Are you with me today? Takes after him. Represents him. Looks like him. Talks like him. You know that. So you look at him and say, man, this is your namesake. You, are you familiar with the term? Okay. Now, if our forgiveness and salvation have something to do with our faithfulness, we're all in trouble. So, why is God faithful? Because of his namesake. Why can I be assured that my salvation and my forgiveness will go forever? Because of his namesake. God has promised. Now, who is God's namesake? Who is God's namesake? For whose name has God forgiven us? For the name of his son. The name, character, the person. Jesus is the namesake of the Father. Remember in Luke 3.22, coming out of the water, what is Jesus here? You are my namesake. You are my beloved son. Remember in Colossians 1.15, what does he say? Jesus is the namesake, the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, what? He is the exact Duplication, if you would. The stamp. He is the namesake of God. So, Charles, why has God chosen you before the foundation of the world? In Christ, because of his namesake. You see, it's not about me. It's about he. Listen to this. Psalms 2.8. Do you remember... We talked about this a little bit in the other class. God makes a promise to the son. This promise is made before the foundation of the world in the pre-temporal time before the world was. And he says this to the son. I will give you what? The nations, my people, as your inheritance. Is it in here? And I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Because God made that promise to the Son, and because that is the relationship functionally as to our salvation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit comes in to make it sure God creates. And then he says, you're going to be my image bearers. And then for the rest of the Bible, we get an outworking of that. Listen to what Jesus says in John 17, verse 9. He's asking the Father, I ask on their behalf, who? Us. For those whom you have given me. The whole purpose of coming of Jesus, the incarnation, was that the Father's glory would be manifested in the glory of his Son as to his humanity. The Father's glory 
manifested in the glory of his son as to his humanity. You see, the son of God has always had the same glory as the father. The father didn't need to glorify the son as the son who is who is the son in himself with the father eternally. That's not necessary. They both have the same glory. Well, what does that mean? If you already have it, how can you? As to his humanity. So as the son of God, the son of God is the glory of the father already, always, and they share the same glory. But as the son of man, the father glorifies the son. Oh, we see this. And then he says, if you will do my will, become incarnate and go to the cross, I will raise you from the dead. I will bring you into heaven. I will put the crown of righteousness and the crown of authority over all creation upon your head. And then I will give you the authority to bring all my people whom I have determined to be in you into my house. And I will build my house forever. And in that house, your glory will shine through the glory of your people. Amen. That's your Bible. Everything is because of this intra-Trinitarian relational fellowshipping love. Because of that, we are here today. And that is what is being manifested in us today. That is walking as Jesus walked. That's our assurance. The assurance of who God is in himself. As these three divine, equal, each one fully possessing all of the attributes. As these three fellowship together in love through their distinct roles. Psalm 106.8. He saved them for his name's sake. That, I may, that he may make his power known. 1 Samuel 12.22. For the Lord will not cast away his people. Look at that. 1 Samuel 12, 22. For the Lord will not cast away his people. Why? For his name's sake. For the sake of his great name. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Do we see this this morning? Oh, yes. Forgiveness of sins is incredible. But how do I know it's mine forever? Because he who has saved me has saved me because of his son for the manifestation of his glory in the glory of the obedience of his son. Amen. Is this good or not? Yes, it's good. See you next week.